Hi everybody, uh, Jane here. Um, before we get to all the uh, the fun stuff today with uh, with the episode and everything, uh, me and Nero both wanted to take a minute and sort of talk really briefly about uh, some of the stuff that's going on because right now the world's not doing super hot. Specifically, uh, Palestine is once again experiencing absolutely monstrous treatment at, at the hands of of the uh, of the state of Israel and it's it's very it's pretty horrifying to watch um so in the link in in the uh the episode description in the uh tweet that we post this on um we're going to be including links to the palestine children's relief funds um the bds movement and also just uh the decolonized palestine website which has a lot of information if you know you don't uh necessarily know that much about what's going on it's a it's a good resource for learning about sort of the situation how they've been uh colonized and brutalized for many many years and that this is a part of a long-standing pattern of uh horrible and uh genocidal treatment uh, towards them and uh and yeah i would i would really really uh recommend uh as well if you see anybody on uh social media who is who is asking for for personal relief uh personal medical relief uh money to to get out of uh bad situations in the uh in in palestine right now if uh you see any of that you know please donate to them as well um, they really, really do need the support. If you know of any, uh, protests going on in your local area, I would definitely say, um, try and be a part of that, you know, stay safe and everything. If you're vaccinated, that's great. If not, um, you know, stay, be careful with it or, you know, just try and spread information, uh, as, as best you can. But, but yeah, we, this is, this is one of those, those moments where, you know, people should be trying to do their part and you know i we want to do ours as well so uh so yeah uh thank you just just wanted to 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 get that out there and uh incidentally uh just in case uh this little bit pisses anybody off um one i don't care two hi local jew here um the state of israel is not and never will be israel Uh, it's a completely illegitimate colonial project it's not real and it doesn't deserve to exist um, anyway, enjoy the show. C minor, put it in C minor. Oh, I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the end of the night. He's gotta be strong and he's gotta be fast and he's gotta be fresh from the fight. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the morning Hello, and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And folks, crack a cold one. We're here. We are here. That was that was a sad that was a sad can cracking noise right there. It was very small. Oh, I think I think it'll show up just fine 
on my file. <laughs> We're talking about Save the Cat. We are talking about Save the Cat. So yes, definitely if you've if you've got some if you've got some snacks, if you've got got some some soda pop, this is this is the moment to break it out. This is going to be a long one. Yes, indeed, a very long one, I would say, because guess what? This is the best episode of the show. Is this a hot take? Perhaps. Maybe, yeah, you know, the thing is, uh, I, I don't know if I'm 100% on this being the absolute best episode yet. I want to rewatch, obviously, uh, Failsafe and the Hard episodes, but this was my favorite the first time I watched it, so I think it'll probably stay that way. I've said before, I will say again, I just like me some angst, and this is this is the one with that in it. Oh, yeah. Don't worry, the rest of the season also has it in it, but this is the most concentrated pile of it. Yeah, it's a nice, nice concentrated dose. So, just like Corridors, we're probably going to tackle this differently because we don't want to be bouncing around between plot lines that don't necessarily have the same amount of narrative weight. So, we will probably talk about the B-plot first because it it is not quite as, um, you know like that as the a plot yes that's true so uh we we start the episode out um with sort of this this very like captain kirk style moment with uh with adora getting in in the captain's chair flying towards the velvet glove here and they get uh they get attached to like a tractor beam style thing um and they get pulled in she's like oh i'm by myself nobody else is here you know figured it was time that me and horde prime met and uh, the clones kind of search the ship for a second, and they're like, "Okay, well, we'll, we'll take you to Prime, and then you will receive judgment." And 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 this sort of sets up the the premise of Adora's plan here, which is that she goes in by herself, but everybody else, well, they were hiding in a very special location. Were were they hiding in like just kind of a cranny on the outside of the ship? They kind of do a Millennium Falcon, but much more dangerous. Because instead of just hiding in a, like a hidden smuggler's compartment, they're um, they're clinging. The other three are clinging to the outside of the ship in their spacesuits. Yeah, and there's actually this very funny like, wait, we could have died moment that Glimmer has, where Entrapped is like, awesome, okay, spacesuit test is a success, zero loss of life, and Glimmer's just like, wait a minute, that was a possibility. Yes, and we finally see Glimmer's spacesuit, uh, just like Adora, it kind of takes after Glimmer's '80s design, so that that's a nice motif to keep going. I'm not sure if Entrapta's follows that or not i am not entirely familiar with 80s and trapped as design because we haven't encountered her in any of our forays into that show yeah perhaps someday uh i like how glimmer's spacesuit looks extraordinarily comfortable it's very like it, it looks like a pinstripe sweater but for space i mean all of them look extremely comfortable let's be real here that's true so the plan is that they adora is going to go in and, and distract horde prime um Bo and Entrapta are going to find the server room so that Entrapta can kind of figure out Horde Prime's communications grid. And Glimmer is going to the holding cell uh, that she was kept in to go and free Catra because they believe that she is probably being held there. Yes, pro- a pretty good assumption. Um, <laughs> that being said, they like... So their, their method of communication is they have these like little like in-ear like microphone headphone combos, you know, the, the classic spy movie style thing. Um, the thing is that 
Adora's kind of just like talking out loud to them. Uh, I mean, she's like trying to be a little bit quiet about it, but also it's not exactly the most subtle communication technique in the world. Yeah, and you may think, wow, these clones sure are big idiots for not rec- real and recognizing this and realizing she's just kind of talking to herself. Well, we find out later it's it's because, you know, they already know, but we get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. They're, as far as the B-plot is concerned with, with the rest of the gang here, um, Glimmer's kind of walking down uh, the corridors pretty much immediately after uh, Adora ends up in the, the main chamber here. Um, and she's kind of having a moment because, uh, you know, she's been held captive on this very, very scary ship for uh, for a grip now. And she's only been, you know, safe for the last, like, couple of days, maybe, like, uh, maybe half a week or so. And she's not really excited about being back here again. Lots of very bad memories on this ship. Um, and, and she's kind of freaking out a bit um and, and there's a cute moment where where Bo makes sure she's all right and she's like what are you worried about me yeah and you can tell pretty much immediately after like Bo actually like calls her on the little the earphone she calms down like her body language she gets like a little less tense and you know she's able to kind of joke around a little bit like she's obviously not okay but like just being able to talk to another person is exceptionally helpful in this exact kind of situation and then brings her back down from like her sort of panic state uh that she was getting into yes and so uh bone and trapped are continuing to try and find the server room and they're realizing that this ship seems like remarkably hard to navigate it's extremely labyrinthine everything is so big and empty it's really hard to tell where to go yeah, there's not exactly convenient signage or anything like that. Everything is like almost intentionally built to be as identical as possible. Uh, all of the laser doors are by default opaque, so you can't see into the rooms that you're trying to get to. Um, and and it's almost like that's by design. So yeah, we kind of they entrapped a spots uh, a door, an open door, after they kind of hide from a clone patrol, and they sneak in there, entrapped, assuming oh well, this must be the server room. Um, there's lots of glowing stuff in there, and then they get in there, and it turns out to not be the server room. This turns out to be the clone room. This is the room with all the pods in it, you know, and. <sighs> Entrapta is not exactly quiet, is the thing. She's very she's very excited to see all of the cloning technology because it's very cool. Uh, however, unfortunately, this room is not exactly what you might call unoccupied. There's a few clones in here doing... Something. Question mark. Um, and, you know, they, they turn around and, and come after Bo and Entrapta. Well, Bo is Bo's first, like... Would you believe by any chance that we were the inspectors? Yeah, he tries the old inspector trick. Unfortunately, does not work on these guys. While Entrapta is desperately trying to open the laser door, uh, which she can't, she sees a clone hanging out hooked up to a pod who looks a lot like Hordak. Yeah, he's very he's very similar to Hordak. His hair is just a little bit messy as well. It just... He seems just a touch different, and 
so she pulls out the little uh, sort of chest crystal that she had given him for his um, exoskeleton when she built that. And at first it seems like maybe he's recognizing her, but it turns out uh, he was just like waking up from a clone nap. And once he realized where he was, uh, he grabs her by the, the big pigtails here and starts talking about how there will be retribution and etc. Um, Bo... Bo's kind of on the ball here and slaps this guy in the chest with a taser arrow, which uh, seems to break him slightly. So he is still hooked up to this pod. He's got like, you know, the the tendrils in his back. Whatever was happening, he was in the progress of doing something. And that burst of electricity uh, really messed him up. So he kind of just collapses on top of Bo and starts crying and sobbing and saying that he can't connect to the hive mind anymore. Yeah, how will how will Horde Prime know if he's faithful, if he if he still loves him? Horde Prime will never know. He has to he has to make sure that someone tells him and Bo is like, you know, we'll we'll tell him. Yeah, we'll tell him for you, buddy. And he's and he's just like he's like, yeah, you, you will. That's great. And you know, they try and leave um and now this this guy's just kind of following them around, like like a lost puppy a little bit. Yeah, Trapper's like, well, we broke him, so now he's our responsibility. And Bo is very much not a fan of this. Also, after he dispatches the clone, and Trapper says, okay, well, we can cross that one off the list. That one is not Hordak. And Bo is very surprised to learn that apparently they have a list. Yeah, he's like, we have a list. Yeah, no, and Trapper's got uh her own sort of secret mission as well which seems to be find hordak which uh we'll see if she's successful in that but uh but yeah also here's the fun thing about wrong hordak this guy knows how to open doors so pretty pretty good he is basically a, a an emotionally destroyed key at this point for our party, uh, and they just kind of have to drag him along. Quite literally, drag him along. In fact, yeah, he cannot really stand up on his own. Meanwhile, Glimmer gets to the uh, detention cell and finds it empty. Yeah, it seems like their plan is sort of collapsing. Uh, Glimmer has not found Katra. And she doesn't really know where to go from here. So she sort of starts trying to, to run around and try and find her, um, which is is not exactly going astoundingly well. No, the comms at this point have been completely cut off. No one can hear each other. So, so Glimmer is completely alone. Yeah, which is not great for her in this situation, because not only has the plan gone completely tits up, they she now no longer has any ability to get out of here uh with anybody's help she she sort of is is all all by her lonesome again in the middle of the velvet glove not an ideal scenario for her it's not not a good place no she's panicking a bit um she runs from some clones and ends up in horde prime's trophy room where she goes to hide and she finds a big crystal staff on the wall and just starts swinging yeah it's imagine Imagine getting the snot beat out of you by stuff in your own trophy cabinet. That's, I mean, dude kind of took the L on that one a little bit. Yeah, so Glimmer is just using all of her quarterstaff abilities to fight these clones. Meanwhile, 
Bo and Tratta and our newly christened Wrong Hordak have somehow, they have stumbled their way into the server room and Wrong Hordak here tells us the secret of the Velvet Glove. This place is apparently like completely incomprehensible to anyone who is not who who is not part of the hive mind to to be able to navigate this place easily you must be under horde prime's control exactly which you know makes a lot of sense like horde prime is like the thing about him right is that he is like so he, he tries his best to be as controlling as possible and to compartmentalize information as hard as he can uh, so it makes a lot of sense, right? He makes it so that, you know, the only way somebody can get around is if he has personal access to their brain at any given moment. You know, no one can sabotage you if you know exactly where everyone is. It's it's kind of, it's it's like, it's a pretty good idea as like a, a horrible, like, Christo-fascist dictator. Um, but, uh, but yes, luckily for, for our heroes here, they manage to kind of just stumble their way into the correct part of the ship, and they find this big, sort of elaborate sculptural server thing, um, which is great. Unfortunately, two things happen. A, this is the moment in which Horde Prime reveals, actually, we've been following you around with like an entire army the whole time you've been here, and now they're going to attack you. And B, uh, Entrapta is trying to hack a computer from the future when all that she knows is like basically the equivalent of like a 1982 unix system (laughs) which is not ideal yeah she is trying to like crack into the most advanced supercomputer ever devised when most of what she has done is program things for the Commodore 64. That's the gap we're, we're kind of talking about here. Probably even further back, like maybe even those big room-filling computers with the punch cards. Yeah, she's doing punch card computing over here on the freaking SuperVac, and then... I mean, she's doing pretty well. <laughs> Unfortunately, this server structure is completely alien to her, and so she's like, I, I can't crack it. I'm going to need a lot more time. And at this point, the clones are just pouring into the room. Yeah, they do not have time. But thankfully, Glimmer has the power of unfathomable violence on her side. There's so many incredible shots of Glimmer just beating these clones over the head with this staff. I hated that guy in particular, and also all the other guys I hit on the way in. There's a great shot of her kicking one in the face, and then in the background you just see her giving him the quick double tap oh yeah gotta make sure that guy's down so she is she's just swinging she's working out some some issues here and the the rest of the crew flees uh after entrapta realizes well she entrapta's like i can't crack it and glimmer's like well we can at least inconvenience him and just stabs the server yeah which i mean hey to be fair if you break a bunch of server equipment it doesn't matter how futuristic it is that is gonna cause some problems yeah um and the problem it causes is explosion yeah it does cause a lot of uh a lot of start exploding all over the place which is like you know it's kind of inconvenient for everybody involved right this second but that's fine no one wants the ship to explode is the thing yeah nobody really wants the ship to explode at least not while the heroes are on it once they leave maybe it's okay but but not not quite yet um but uh but yeah now now they're in a bit of a pickle because they need to get out of here uh as fast as possible which um a little easier said than done frankly 
Yeah, but luckily Entrapta has uh, tinkered with the ship despite being told not to can summon her up on command and so darla just crashes through the velvet glove to deliver them unto uh, escape but they have to wait for adora yeah well there's there's a really really funny line in here as well where like and travis like well uh, i might have explicitly disobeyed your orders and tinkered with the ship and you know and and, and bo's like listen if you get us out of this mess, you can tinker with Darla as much as you want. And she screams in glee as she, like, uh, summons her her ship girlfriend to just basically uh, explode uh, through the entirety of the Velvet Glove. And, um, you know, it seems, like, not great for, for anybody in the rooms that might have been facing the outside, but that's fine. Yeah, they're all just clones. I wouldn't worry about it. So... <laughs> They are primed for escape, but they still have to wait for Adora. Say, what's going on in the other half of the episode? Which I should well, we should say, this is one of the episodes uh, actually written by Noelle Stevenson and not just, you know, showran and, and, and whatnot. Yes, it is. Not only is this written by Noelle Stevenson, but the uh, the scripting for it and everything else is like it is is pretty good. And we're gonna we're gonna touch into some of that bonus additional content that that exists sort of surrounding this episode uh, at some point here. Yeah. So let's get into the main part. Let's get into the meat of it. We have we have finished on the appetizer that is the B plot. Adora is escorted to Horde Prime's throne room where she sees him getting his daily dose of dew from his boys. Yes, and we get this really interesting first-person camera shot, and I I think it might be the only one in the entire show. I can't think of a single other first-person shot. Was there a first-person shot in... Um, there have been a few. There's one in the episode with the pulse bots where Adora gets knocked out and you kind of see from her point of view as she's waking back up. Oh yeah, the ear ringing scene. Was there also one when Glimmer was tied to the table by Shadow Weaver when she was waking up or Adora was waking up? Yes, I think there was a there was a shot of her waking up and then he just it's just Shadow Weaver's face filling the entire frame. Yeah. So so yeah, we've had a couple of first person camera shots, but they've all been they've all been quite dramatic and this one is no exception you sort of get this like um like the design of horde prime's sort of chamber here is very interesting um you don't get the impression when you just see the scenes when they are shot normally but the actual like path that leads up to the platform um where his his throne is is built in such a way as that uh, you are looking up at it the entire time, and the entirety of the platform is completely obscured by perspective uh, until you are actually right on, like, at the platform. And it's like it's a it's a pretty intimidating way to to sort of build your throne room. Yeah, um, and and the horde crime is like, oh, I'm so sorry for my unseemly state. I just have to do this to keep my vessel going. And, you know, it's interesting that Horde Prime seems to run on the life force of his followers, basically. Yeah, it's it's almost like some sort of metaphor. No, those don't exist. What do you mean? What is this, some kind of eighth grade book report? Uh, it could be. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he's he's getting his daily dose of dew, and Adora is, is really putting on her, like, hard ass. <laughs> 
face here. He's like, all right, listen, you're going to give me Catra or I'm going to use the heart of Etheria. And Horde Prime just kind of, he just laughs. Yeah, like she she does her best to, to, to deliver this bluff, right? She's like, she's sweating bullets, literally, because like, obviously 90% of this scene, she has not been able to hear uh, communications from her friends. Um, and what communications she does get towards the end are fighting noises. But, um, like, so, so she knows the plan is going awry, but she's, she's doing her best to keep a straight face and, and be like, hey, listen, I'm in control here. Here's how this is going to go. I have all the leverage. You don't have anything. You know, I got the keys to the castle, bud. And unfortunately, Horde Prime's been around the block enough times to know when someone is bluffing. And uh, it turns out, yeah, she, she she was pretty hard. Yeah, Horde Prime is just like, all right, well, if you could use the weapon, you would have done it already. Unless, of course, you were, you know, worried about Catra. I don't buy for a second that you would destroy this station with all of your friends aboard it i think you are completely and utterly full of shit and uh unless you're ready to you know i mean on my terms i don't think we're gonna be we're not gonna be doing much here no not exactly and you know he and he's he starts really, really going for her too, because you know he's like, "Oh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't risk the safety of your Catra," and you know she's trying to, she's trying to keep, uh, keep serious, but you know he's like, "Oh, you're, you're so very predictable," as, as she would say, while he, uh, he sort of reveals it turns out he knew the whole time that you know they had like a little commando plan. Yes, and this is also, of course. Where we he he starts talking about his his extreme age. He is old, far older than you can imagine. He reveals his uh, his his one one weird trick this god emperor uses to reign eternal. He um he just elects a new vessel whenever the the one he's using wears out. He just puts his brain in it. Yeah, he just he just gets gets a full body transplant whenever he feels like it. Uh, which seems like it would be less than great for the clone who is getting uh, their brain removed, but I guess that's not really that important uh, to the to the horde here. Well, no, it's the highest honor, of course. <laughs> um, and so, you know, she is still like trying to keep things on track, trying to to get Catra back. Trying being the operative word, of course, not knowing the truth of what has happened to catcher she is not in that cell and, and horde prime there is there's a bit where he just kind of waxes a little bit poetic about the nature of the first ones yeah it, it turns out yeah the the first ones were his, his one of his oldest enemies and, and he was under the impression that their entire species has been wiped out there was not a single one left but turns out that on some on some backwater world some of them survived, and then you had, you know, Adora was 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 uh, plucked from there and tossed onto a uh, a planet in the shadowy realm of Despondos, and in the shadow realm, yes, the shadow realm, and uh, you know, you, you've been abandoned by your people. Why do you fight for them? And you know, and she's just like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't fight for the first ones. You, you kind of, kind of misreading this here. 
uh i fight for for me and my friends and because this is like you're kind of you're kind of batshit to make you go away forever and he says oh interesting you fight for your friends huh and this is of course where we get the reveal uh adora hears catcher's voice somewhere on the platform and horde prime reveals what has happened uh catcher walks out in full horde cultist regalia her hair has been cut short and neat uh, and there is a chip on the back of her neck. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So this is this is this is basically like the following three scenes are a lot. They're a lot. So so they, they all kind of they're not really back to back in terms of the actual temporal like logistics of the show but they are back to back uh in 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 our minds at least and uh yeah it's it's sort of a one two three punch here so so katra gets gets her reveal here and she says a lot of lines under the uh the influence of of uh mr prime here yeah i mean already it starts so horde prime calls her child there's this she like bows before his throne and he helps her to her feet with with his hand on her chin i might add Mm, yes lifting lifting her chin up gently towards his face and there is this pan up of of horde prime talking while katra looks up at him adoringly (sighs) it's it's a lot it's really bad it's really bad okay so like uh oh god um so so she she has a lot like adora immediately is like what did you do to her and she tries to run over and is obviously stopped but you know he's like i i made her anew you know i saw her mind and she was so she was so anguished she was she was so she she was in so much pain and i and i brought her to the light and and she has things to say for herself here you know she's like her her place is with Horde Prime. She doesn't want to leave. Why would she ever want to do that? You know, he's given her peace. Dora broke her heart and Prime made it whole again. That sort of thing. <sighs> so, so You broke my heart, but he has made it whole again is just just a dramatically like next level line frankly it's like it's quite something it's all it's 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 incredible and even while under the the influence here of of the chip completely even while being like completely sort of mind controlled here when horde prime actually has his hands on katra um she does look like visibly pained and quite upset by it. He is uh, specifically touching the chip, touching her neck. Yes, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. This is like the visuals, the the way that this is narratively handled here is like. This is this isn't really beating around the bush anymore. This is they've they've taken they've taken the stick and they're beating you over the head with it a little bit here. The the actual uh the the, the theming of of how like violently rep- repressed Catcher's been here is like very 
It's very textual. Very textual. And so Horde Prime, of course, reveals, I knew all along about your plan, about the head, about the earpieces, like you miscalculated. But I am gracious and I'm willing to make a deal. I'll give you Katra if you give me She-Ra. Yeah, which of course she's like, never, I'll never do that. And, you know, he's like, yeah, well, you're going to come around. I know you will. Uh, this, you know, you, you're so very predictable. But, you know, I'll give, I'll give you some time. I'll give you some time. You know, you two clearly have a lot to, uh, to talk about here, some catching up to do. So him and the clones leave while Catra sort of uh, bears her, her claws here, her, uh, you know, ready to, uh, ready to, to dance, uh, as it were. And I don't think there's any uh, controversy in saying that this is the best fight in the show. Oh, for sure. For sure. This is the best choreographed fight. It looks the best, like, by a pretty broad margin. They, they, they really put a lot of effort into this one. So, Katra, throughout this fight, uh, the first part anyway, has this completely placid look on her face. Her head doesn't e- barely even move, doesn't move as she just, like kind of you know she just goes for it she's just throwing punches it, it's it's all i am in in a very uncanny way very robotic it's very robotic but it's also like there's this very scary level of like uh like adora is being really heavily emotionally fucked with uh in this scene like real real bad because like katra is first off um more than a more than a match for her in in physical combat at the best of times but right now she's also like being very like emotionally manipulative like she she is like being extremely intimate like with with adora while clawing her to pieces and and trying to incapacitate her like break her arms and stuff like that it's like this is this is a very this is this is a bad fight for her to be in, frankly. There is a part where, you know, Adora is just trying to hold Catra down basically while Catra is just going for claws to the face, punches to the face. This is I think this might be the first scene where we just see punches land straight to the face maybe. Um I can't think of any other examples of that. Yeah, there's also like the 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 claw marks. I feel like are a lot more defined than they have been in the past. Like they they really go hard with the the sound effects here, and they obviously um, either as a stylistic choice or as like sort of a, a production decision decided that they're not going to go for actual blood. But like they do they do everything short of that. And it's it's like Adora's taking some some definite battle damage here while she's trying her best to not hurt Katra. There's a scene where she's got Katra held down and she's like everything's gonna be okay. She Adora is just crying throughout this entire fight. This entire set of scenes, even she's just as soon as Katra gets here, uh, it's just the fa- oh, yeah. the 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 confident facade just evaporates it just it, it gets it gets thanos snapped out of existence and it's just tears all the way down and she's just reassuring catra that everything is going to be okay and catra like dislocates her own arm in a very gross visual and audio combination to like 
reverse the hold and 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 get the hold onto Adora. Yeah, it's like it's it's pretty nuts actually. Like the ugh, ooh, it's it's not great. I can't imagine that that felt super nice, but yeah, there's uh the the bit where where Adora is is holding her specifically uh when she gets the claws in the back is also like Obviously, they're fighting and getting knocked around on a platform that's suspended like 900 feet in the air over like a bottomless chasm. And, you know, Catra gets knocked kind of towards the edge there and Adora sort of reflexively reaches out and shouts for her. Um, And she realizes, oh, this is like, oh, you don't you don't want me to get hurt, huh? So she sort of backs up like she's going to walk off the edge. And uh, and that's when Adora kind of reaches out to to grab her and try and save her and She's like, uh, she's very like sweetly holding her in this like, uh, uh, just normal embrace. But that's that's when Katra is like, uh, digging her claws into her back. And this like, again, they really go hard with the sound effects here. It's uh, it's like it's it's a little hard to watch actually. There are a few more lines, of course, with Adora. Uh, Adora like. Earlier, knocks Catra into some stairs um, and is like, I don't want to hurt you. And then Catra responds with, you already have, but Prime has set me free of that pain. The pain that you caused. Yes. Oh, and uh, worth noting that the point uh, immediately after that hug where the claws get dug in, Horde Prime is personally controlling Catra for that one. And you get this like this bit where he is speaking through her and they get this sort of like doubled up voice going on. Yep. And, uh, that, that is quickly followed with a knee to the gut. Another fairly, you know, violent thing that we aren't really used to seeing in most of the other episodes of this show. No. Yeah. The, the, the actual, like they, they try their best to, to get this fight, like very, very visceral. Like it feels it's not as flashy. Like this isn't like a big flashy fight with a lot of explosions, a lot of like people flying around at Mach seventeen into the stratosphere. But this is this is like a much more visceral like human fight where like there's actual like real stuff being done to them where you can kind of you get you get that like those like uh, like that physical sympathy where you can like you you you're like ooh ow. Yeah, the best fight scenes are always the ones that are, like, about the characters and about expressing their relationships and what they're going through. Like, it it looks cool, and it, uh, and it but it is also very much this, like, the the kind of culmination of both of their arcs. It's it's extremely emotionally charged. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot. A Horde Prime specifically asks Adora how long she's going to drag this out. How many, because, uh, you know, she's just going to hurt all the people she loves in the process. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, like, if you if you just complied, everything would be fine, Adora. Why don't you just, why don't you just do what I ask? And, and there's, there's this bit where, where she, the, the sort of, um, dangling over the edge gets reversed and Horde Prime's like, you know, maybe maybe I'll make this Catra my new vessel. What do you what do you think? You know, it wouldn't last me too long. I'd burn through her pretty quick, but I don't know. How do you feel about that, Adora? And uh and she uh sort of slams uh Catra backwards into uh into the glowy screens, the big floaty things, and uh, it is at this moment, uh conveniently 
that the entire computer network starts getting fried and it sends some uh some electricity into the uh into the chip here yes and of course we shan't forget you know horde prime is still taunting adora uh, he says like uh, a catcher was afraid of the end and she suffered for it just all sorts of horrible things coming out of catcher's mouth yeah horde prime is astoundingly good at doing one very specific thing and that's manipulating people he's very very good at trying to uh, manipulate people their emotional states use that against them as much as possible he is you know he uses his positioning and uh his abilities as a hive mind to actually like have all of the information required to stand so far above everyone else that he can really toy with them and and um bend them to to sort of his will here and again it it's sort of it's very there there's some very true to life uh uh aspects to that situation i think so his big like computer screen explodes after shocking catcher and kind of knocking her chip offline for a minute adora throws them both clear of the explosion her hair comes undone that's an important visual detail yeah both of their hair both of their hair is is getting undone it's it's both getting a little bit messy a little bit in the in the face here and catra wakes up and and gains control briefly and what does she say she says why did you come back we both know that i don't matter and uh what does adora say in response Oh, well, she says, you matter to me, and then gently touches her cheek. Um, and... Uh, boy, uh, this So, Catra gets this little smile and, like, clutches Adora's wrist. It's a lot. It's, it's so much. So, Adora obviously, like, was coming here to save Catra because of that, the act of saving Glimmer and realizing that... that she was not beyond hope was not over the edge beyond the pale whatever you want to say um and that there you know she says in in uh, stranded there's still some good in her i have to i have to try it's the, it's what i owe her and catra for her part horde prime says earlier that um catra hoped that she would come that adora would come for her and i don't think he's lying there i think despite this whole thing being uh at least catra saying that this was all to to like stop adora from getting herself killed i think that ultimately there is some part of her that does wish that adora would come for and that this whole thing was some form of like self-punishment oh yeah of course of course it was right like a lot of this was self-punishment and like her deciding that she wasn't worth going back for she could have probably theoretically saved herself along with glimmer like there was probably a way that she could have like hopped into the teleportation chamber and gotten out or something like that but that wasn't what she intended to do as far as she was concerned her dying at horde prime's hands which is what she sort of assumed was going to happen you know that was sort of the 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 iron price that she had to pay for for everything she did and god and then adora comes back anyway and catra says there's nothing in the, i don't matter adora says you matter to me and that smile and the tears they ooh. 
it's it's a lot it's really good it's like yeah like i i think there there are moments in this show where uh where adora had seemingly given up on capture right like especially um like season four yeah like season four you can see there are moments where where adora seemingly more or less has given up on her but this i think the the end of corridors and of course save the cat i think show that like anything the tiniest the tiniest hint that Katra could be a good person that she could like come back from from where she is the smallest sign in the world is enough uh for her to immediately drop everything she can to to try and to try and bring Katra over to to where she's at and like it, it just it's it's very revealing that like you know deep down inside she really did never give up hope even though things definitely point in a different direction for a long time especially outwardly i mean i i think the point where dora was at her lowest regarding catcher was definitely after the portal they didn't talk at all in season four and and the the one conversation they did have was basically adora just shutting catra down um not wanting to to engage in any of this nonsense um there's a lot of parallels with this fight to the corrupted catra encounter from the end of the portal episode oh yes where whereas you know that was catra like just viciously tearing into adora and projecting everything bad that had happened to her onto adora this is like a a horde prime controlled catra digging into all of the horrible things that Catra has thought about Adora and just kind of relaying them in this extremely calm and clinical voice uh, and singing the praises of Horde Prime, who will bring in an era of, of undying peace. Uh, yeah, the, the the clinicalness of it, too, like it really adds like this entirely like additional dimension to it, I feel. So Horde Prime attempts to wrestle control back and Catra kind of pushes Adora away and, and starts stumbling towards the edge of the uh, throne again. And, and Adora's like, you have to fight it. She delivers an incredible own. It's the best line. It's, this line is amazing. She's like, come on, Catra, you've never listened to anyone in your life. Are you really going to start now? Absolutely incredible. <sighs> And this and this is enough enough to break Catra free a little bit, and she's like, "You're you're such an idiot." Now those words are going to be important. Keep that in mind. Yeah, they're they're very important words. And this is where uh, the the honestly, we should probably just drop the 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 clip of this exchange in here because the Amy Kerr is a very good voice actor. You're such an idiot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm going to take you home. I promise. I promise. Adora. Oh, Amy Kerr is such a good voice actor. Like so is AJ Machalka. The yeah, the yeah I know is also just incredible. It's it's, it's incredible. Um. 
she Adora promises to take Catra home, and Catra, in the shakiest voice possible, you promise. And Adora does, and, and of course, Catra feels as though Adora has broken a few promises in the past, right? Like there was a whole episode about it. There's a couple episodes about it, even. And this is a big moment where Catra reaches out her hand to accept that promise. Uh... And this is when Horde Prime steps back in, takes control, and says, Disappointing. Some creatures are destined only for destruction. Where have we heard that line before, I wonder? Well, if you read a book called The Fire Never Goes Out by Noelle Stevenson, you may find in there that they refer to themselves you know in one of these these very emotionally heavy like introspective uh, segments as a vessel destined for destruction yeah yeah it's what they always said you were oh child they'll never love you yeah it's again i i think i've said it like eight times now but that that book's really good and it definitely adds like a, a really uh it it adds a nice additional dimension to a lot of the a lot of the scenes in this show and with that he activates catra's ship gives her a huge shock and she goes plummeting over the edge yeah and and adora jumps right after her oh yeah immediately absolutely no hesitation the the girl jumps off the edge of this cliff like if you're if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? Uh, Dora answers absolutely yes. Not not even a question. So this scene now, this show is rated TVY seven. Yeah. So they can't you know show everything, but everything about this scene makes it very clear that this fall mortally wounds Katra. Yeah, like. <laughs> She is completely limp, uh, barely conscious. Her breathing is like, there's, they're death rattles. Like, there's no other way to really describe the noises she's making. Yeah, no, she is experiencing agonal breathing. And Adora also seems to have just shattered every bone in her leg, probably. Um, She tries to get up and just stumbles over. She had the, uh, you know, the, the advantage of being conscious and like free of movement when she plummeted over the edge Catra was forced over it and so could not mitigate anything but even so adora can still barely move too and just kind of cradles Catra's body in her arms as the clones surround her yeah Catra, by the way of course fell she fell backwards um and kind of head first over over the back here yeah, so yeah she's, she's in a very bad way of course there's the post a few months ago where noel stevenson posted all of the time you know the cats have nine lives here are all the times catra died and this was one of them oh yeah no the the lady bites it extremely hard here and uh, and when Horde prime and the and and the gang sort of show up uh he <sighs> Horde prime in the uh the the flesh of a clone says oh i'm sorry adora for this horrible waste it didn't have to be like this and adora just says nothing yeah well well right before right before this of course he's also like are you ready to cooperate now yeah no not a single word adora is like just gently cradling catcher she like strokes her hair and then looks up 
uh, and begins glowing with power. Yeah, no, we get uh, so she Shira Shira is in fact back, and Horde Prime. Well, he sort of gets the monkey's paw situation because well, here's Shira. Um, unfortunately for him, it turns out um, Shira, as as she exists unshackled to the sword of uh, protection, is way stronger like by a factor of like a hundred yeah adora manifests the sword out of thin air now uh the posing in this scene is of course very reminiscent of a certain series called uh, revolutionary girl lieutenant oh yeah and if any of you are familiar with that um one of the they're the the kind of like iconic image of that the the kind of stock footage magical girl transformation is Utena sort of dipping Anthe and pulling a sword out of her chest. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, actually, there was somebody on Twitter at some point made a comment, Some someone on the crew actually made a comment about, like, somebody wanted to actually do that, like, like directly do that for, for this scene, but they, like, they ended up not doing it because it wouldn't have, like, made a ton of, like... It wouldn't have. It would have not made an especially massive amount of sense to be able to do it. But like, can you can you imagine though? No, it would have looked insane. It would have looked <laughs> insane to anyone who didn't know what was happening. Like, but everyone who knew what was happening would have lost their minds. Yeah. Uh, but everything else about the pose is extremely reminiscent of Utena. Uh, new sword. It's sleek. It's like. This sword looks good. This is a sword as a sword. Oh yeah, no, this is this is like a paladin sword right here. It's it's pretty incredible actually. Like the the redesign is is amazing. Uh it's it's like it's it's sleek. Let's talk let's talk about season five Shira for a little bit. We got a new design for a new season. So mo- a lot of the things are kept, but she looks much more like Mara. Um, a fully realized Shira. The shorts have been replaced with these full tights, ending in these lift-heeled shoes. Yeah, the shoes have little wings on them too. It's got kind of like a kind of a Hermes look to them a little bit. The red cape has been replaced by kind of a long coat uh, with the red inset along the the kind of tail of it. And the the armor is much sleeker. Uh, it, it's like the, the, the pauldrons have kind of shrunk and become more streamlined. There's a heart directly over her, her own heart in the center of her, uh, her armor. And she's got a cool headband. She's got a brand new cool headband. And we've, we've talked about this before a really long time ago now. But, uh, but of course her design pulls the motifs from many of her friends here. So... Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into that more and and sort of break it down once we see the first actual transformation uh, uh, animation, which uh, which is coming up in a future episode here. But um, yeah, very next episode actually. And so Adora just obliterates all these clones without even trying. Oh yeah, these guys get completely smoked. Like it's not it's not even a contest. And there's this very. <laughs> There's a very good line she delivers, actually. Yeah, the first thing she says, other than, of course, for the honor of Grayskull, is she just stares into the clone that Horde Prime was looking at and just says, you miscalculated. And then the, the, the sort of computer feed that Horde Prime is presumably, like, hacking into one of his dudes with uh, ends, it just sort of, it just gets cut offline, presumably because Adora stabs this guy in the, in the chest and he explodes. 
And uh, this is where we cut back to the crew with Adarla having plowed her way through the velvet glove. Yeah, uh, I will point out. I will point out one very funny thing. Um, can you go? Can you? We're, we have the 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 thing uh, playing in the background, just right right immediately when this scene starts. A little, a little bit, a little bit earlier. Okay, watch watch when the clones come in. Ah, they're just like kind of bouncing up and down a little bit. It's like a very Scooby Doo oh, like that... entrance. Yeah, what? Yeah, I was about to say definitely looks like a Scooby Doo shot. <laughs> it's pretty um, good. So yes, uh, Glimmer and Bar are like, well, we have to go find a door. We can't just leave. And then they see a heavenly glow, and Shira steps over the rubble, cradling Katra. Um, and they're like, oh, they're like, oh. Well, I guess that solves okay. that problem. Well, found her, um, and, and she just kind of hands Catra off to them while she destroys the pursuing clones. Yeah, she she has sort of a, a funny a funny iPad moment uh, for those of you who have who've completed uh, Diamond Weapon and and Funny Fantasy. Uh, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about with that one. But she draws a cool <laughs> sigil in the air and blasts it at them, uh, and boards the ship. Which is like it entrapped is just hammering at the controls while Darla is just giving her all sorts of bad news. You know, shields at thirty percent, hull structure integrity like compromised, and then Adora just walks up and just kind of barely touches the console and just floods it with power. Yeah, and Darla's like, "Oh, Administrator Detective, what's up, Shira?" And she's like, "Hey, Darla, just get us out of here." She's like, "You got it," and they just punch a hole straight through the outside of uh, the velvet glove, presumably um exposing half of this ship to the vacuum which doesn't seem great for for any of the clones who might have been standing around they are like nano repair units or whatever i'm sure <laughs> and so yeah this is where we reach the end here and the end is um uh, so so my my note my note verbatim um for for this this sort of ending scene here is um, some gay mother happens, um, and that's because it does. So uh, Glimmer and Bo are looking over Catra's like dying form, and Adora just walks over there and gently cradles her in her in her big, strong, buff Shira arms and says, "You're not done yet, Catra," and just sort of holds their forehead together and does the healing thing. And there's an incredible shot. Of Bo and Glimmer just kind of glancing at each other while while all of this happens. <laughs> it's very yeah. They're just like oh okay. What's happening here? Um, it's it's an extremely emotional moment. There's like this like glowing sort of like kind of like electricity outline around the two of them, and they just glow like extremely bright. And yeah, they just sort of look at each other like uh, I didn't know she could do we, this. Should we be here for this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is this this seems kind of personal. Maybe we should go to the other room. <laughs> um, and and she sort of transforms back into Adora, having pumped all of her healing magic into Catra. And for a moment, nothing happens. But then Catra wakes up and says, sort of, sort sort of coughs a little bit, and just in an extremely weak, extremely quiet voice, is just like, "Hey, Adora," and just they, they just clutches onto her. They're just hugging. That that Hey Adora is the first one we've gotten in a while, and uh... it hits. It do be hitting. 
And you know what else be hitting uh, as it pulls away and we see Catra just clinging desperately to Adora. Yeah, oh, we get we get a really good, we get a good thing. Yes. Yeah, she's purring. She's purring and that's the that's like the only sound is just is just her purring while like they're both just sort of crying on each other and and Catra's holding on for dear life. You know, sort of, sort of afraid if she lets go, even for a, like a fraction of a second, that it might not be real. Yep. And uh, we get one last stinger scene with the clones uh, walking around the velvet gloves, surveying the damage. And one walks over and picks up the uh, the first one's chip that entrapped him made for Hordak, and Hordak recognizes it because he says entrapta and that's where we leave yeah very very lucky that actual hordak is the one who uh who found that because everybody else would have been like oh this is garbage and throwing out the nearest airlock (laughs) so yeah that is save the cat it is a a lot (sighs) it's one hell of an episode it's a save the cat is like it's such an emotional roller coaster of an episode it's it's kind of incredible um it's like it's it's one of those episodes that i feel like i feel like i could watch this episode like a dozen times in a row and i don't think it would like lose any of its like emotional efficacy like it just it hits the notes it hits really hard and it doesn't stop hitting them and it's it's like they 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 really really do their absolute best here. This is this is like maximum effort, and there's and there's reasons for that, right? There are reasons why this episode goes as hard as it does. Um, as it turns out, Save the Cat was actually on top of everything else that it's trying to do here. It's kind of the test run um, for Catradora being. Uh, being like a thing in the show there there was there's actually there's a very like um and i don't remember where this was this was said i think noel did it was in an interview yeah it was in an interview i think it was with io9 yeah with io9 and and noel was talking about the fact that um the the actual like netflix production staff for the show and and dreamworks production staff i assume as well were not like on board with the idea um and I guess this. I go okay. I guess this is technically slightly spoilers. Yes, Catchador is on game. You, we, okay, we all, by this we point, we we all know this. <laughs> you, you by this me. point, if you watch this episode and you still don't think it's going to happen, uh, you need your vision checked. Yeah, you need to get your you need to get your prescription updated. But um, but yeah, so they they were not convinced. They were not like a hundred percent on board. And like one of the test things was like, okay, this episode, if you can convince us with this with this script that this is like a viable and like emotionally cohesive relationship you know maybe we'll let you do it and so noel was like okay you know cracks the cracks the knuckles and gets to work uh you know they 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 they, they get to work and it's just like uh, they they produce a masterpiece so yeah like the whole thing about the article was like well i needed to make sure that there was literally no way this show could work at all if you removed that relationship. Like, if you remove the lesbian romance at the heart of the show, it wouldn't work. And I need to make that into the the nail, the the the, the, the like central peg of this Jenga tower. Literally, make it impossible to be changed. And 
I think they did it. Oh yeah, no, this the, the, it, it was it was a very effective thing because like pre save the cat, it is technically possible if you like really 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 tried to do some mental gymnastics, you could be like, okay, well, there's nothing going on here, right? Like you could you could maybe get away with that, but post save the cat, it is not possible. This this episode goes so hard. There is no way that you could you could take that romance out of the show and not have the show fall apart. So it was it was kind of like Noelle is kind of walking up to DreamWorks doing uh, a similar uh, a similar sort of assertion that uh, that Adora does to, to Prime here, just sort of like, hey, listen, I I just set this show up so that you can't do it without the gay the gay shit. So what, what are we doing? You gonna you're gonna rip it apart, or are you gonna let me finish? And they chose the latter. Um, no, once again, no, technically no spoilers, but you know, listen, every, every, everyone knows, everyone listening to this knows at this point. And if once again, if you don't, where have you, what did you watch? Yeah, we've been living under a rock the whole time. <laughs> so we got questions. We got a lot of questions, of course. Yeah, we do. We've got we got emails. We got curious cats. We got emails that are supposed to be curious cats. It's a it's a whole thing. Let's see. Um, well, let's start here with with uh, one that was technically a late stranded question from an anonymous curious cat user over at curiouscat.qa slash podcast to power. Um, what was Adora going to say when she said he has someone that I well <laughs> listen well she could really have said anything there I mean it's anybody's guess someone who was important to me someone that I hold dear someone that I need to I find mean... you know fill in the blanks you ever play mad libs just uh yeah it's i mean the the reality here is that the actual answer is someone that i love but she wasn't about to actually say that out loud quite yet no all right what else we got here we just just a just a beautiful smorgasbord of stuff here on the curious cat Hmm, what shall I do next? Uh, I guess we can start with another short one here, another anonymous one. Do you think Catcher felt a lot of pain when she was purified? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, if if Hordak... Judging from the scene where Hordak was purified, quite a lot. Probably more than, than he, because he was, like, kind of built for it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if Hordak was in that much, like, mouth-wrenching pain... And he's like designed to be filled with Mountain Dew. I can't imagine that that Katra was uh, was having an ex- especially pleasant experience uh, with the whole affair. I mean, Horde Prime says himself she suffered uh, and she was afraid. So you know, the answer to that is yes. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, the whole thing. Um, we got a couple of questions actually related to corridors. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll go through those real quick. So uh, we have another anonymous user who asks uh, a few different questions, actually. So we'll just kind of go through these. Um, was uh, Katra suicidal in corridors? Uh, do you think she believed she would die? And when she found out she was going to be put in the pool, what were her last thoughts? Uh, I had a theory that her last thoughts were, I deserve this. Um, we kind of covered this in the episode proper, but yeah, like we, we talked about this being a form of self punishment, a sort of 
suicide by cult, if you will. Um, I definitely think that she was, she did not think she was making it out of that, that pool. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, right, like, I don't think, I don't think that once the pool was involved that she was necessarily thinking that she was going to die, but she definitely, like, prior to the moment where Horde Prime was like, yeah, okay, I have a different plan for you than killing you, like, up to that point, she was pretty convinced that he was just going to, like, have her, like, killed ritualistically or thrown out an airlock or something. And yeah, I, I think largely for her, she felt like, you know she had basically destroyed every relationship she could ever form with anybody um particularly with the love of her life and just just everything was was totally ruined and this is this is sort of the the price that she had to pay for all of the like damage and 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 destruction that she had like personally caused a lot of people um so yeah i i would say largely yeah more or less uh the next part of this is uh when Dora gets to the ship and save the cat, uh, did Catra believe it was real, or did she think it was a fake reality? Well, stay tuned for a bonus episode about a certain fan fiction written by a certain showrunner of a certain show called Shira and the Princesses of Power. Yes, and that certain bonus episode is going to have some certain content in it about this certain episode. Certainly. Certainly. Uh, the third part is, what did Bo and Glimmer think when they saw Adora and Catra on the ship together? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, like we were saying earlier, probably like, um, it's a little personal. Maybe we should uh, give them some space. Sure. Should we be here for this? I mean, like, if it was me, I would probably be like, mm, hey, Bo, maybe we should uh, just like, give them a little bit of space here. <laughs> yeah, this is like... this is some very uh very personal very intimate things here and i don't know we need to be watching this so let's let's just go over there yeah let's go over there i mean i guess there aren't a lot of compartments on darla so they would probably they would be kind of stuck in the cargo portion of the ship for a bit walk over and like stare at the console or something like just sort of just sort of (laughs) pretend to be doing something else yeah just stand in a corner um absolutely god uh uh, does Catra know she told Adora you broke my heart? Yeah, I think that basically everything that Catra was saying while like under the influence of the chip and of Ward Prime, I think that's like, um, like we don't, I don't think necessarily get like explicit confirmation that she's completely conscious during all that, but like I'm pretty sure that she is like at least somewhat aware of like her actions while that's going on, which is quite horrifying to think about it's it's a it's like i'm sure it's some kind of like sunken place situation right yeah i was gonna say it would it reminded me a lot of like the like thinking about it, it reminded me a lot of the sunken place right it's you're just trapped your consciousness is just trapped in a body that is not yours to control that horde prime can just kind of slither into whenever he wants and you just have to watch all of this happen yeah it's very scary very very scary concept mm-hmm don't like it don't like it um and the last bit of this one here is uh why does horde prime have to make their fight so sexually charged it's weird because he is controlling catra's body and mind at the moment but at the same time we know that this is how catra actually feels well like i was now this yeah so let me take this one yeah if, if i may so horde prime is in direct control sometimes but we know exactly when that is because the pupils uh sort of like come over and like you know that's when he, he is he is speaking directly through catra and directly controlling her 
and I guess you could ascribe some form of control to all of her actions since she is sort of subsumed in the hive mind. But like, that's only half of it, right? The other half is this kind of warped, like all of all of Catra's thoughts and feelings warped and refracted through this lens of Prime. Exactly, exactly. And another thing you have to bear in mind is that this like her acting in this way is very much playing into prime's interests here because like i was saying before his whole thing is manipulating people emotionally and this fight scene especially is extremely manipulative like adora and katra are generally speaking on a fairly even playing field they can go toe-to-toe with each other and you know and 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 fight right like they were both trained at the same time they're both like of fairly equivalent physical ability um the way that that they are they are dealing with with adora though in this situation is through uh her emotions adora is very easily manipulatable which is sort of been Katra's mo in the entire show how like Katra gets an edge on adora in basically every single fight they have exclusively by playing to her emotions and in this scene she does the same thing but she does it with this like with this very different mindset that has been sort of superimposed onto her like Katra would never ever 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 in a billion years get this physically intimate with adora in any other portion of the show because that is just as emotionally vulnerable for her as it would be for adora she would be throwing herself off at that point um but because of how Katra is right now because of her brain state right now where she has been you know in extremely massive like 3000 point font quotation marks purified uh she isn't like um that the the actual physical intimacy isn't something that is she's not afraid of it there's no blockage there's no like hesitancy because that there is peace it's like a it's like a placid pond everything is equal in there right now exactly exactly and and it's also a a factor of like again katra's treatment at the hands of horde prime is explicitly a a very very clear metaphor um a very textual metaphor for like um sort of evangelical like christian like conversion therapy style stuff and this is like a very you know she her her sort of mental state has been manipulated such that you know that level of physical intimacy with another woman is something that she is physically detaching herself from as something that is no longer a part of her it's not affecting her because she has been met her mental state has been changed such that she no longer is able to feel that way about it while she's under the influence of horde prime and it's it's again this is really it's, it's some pretty heavy stuff here with with the way they do this 
And it's all on purpose. I'll take this next one here. Another one about uh, corridors somewhat mm-hmm. uh, from Anonymous. After listening to the Corridors episode, I realized why I relate to Hordak in a way that I never understood. It's the religious trauma themes tied with his disability coding. As a child, I grew up Christian, and, and being an undiagnosed disabled kid, it was more than toxic. If I was told that something is going wrong in your life, either God wants you to suffer or it's your fault because you're a sinner. This ate at me as a child. I thought it was a monster without doing anything monstrous. It resulted in depression and anxiety disorders. After some thinking, I connected this with Hordak. He thinks that there's something intrinsically wrong with him and deserves to suffer with his disability or Prime wants him to because it it eats at him throughout the whole series. It's a commentary on ableism and religion together that you don't see very often. Yeah, like Hordak's kind of arc and the reason that he is... I think we talked about this a little bit uh, in, in, in Corridors and the Spoiler Zone, but Hordak's whole thing is that he was he is just doing everything in service of being seen as worthy before prime when ultimately prime would never like th- th- this whole narrative he tells in Trapta in season three about being prime's like right hand general and and the, the brightest among his his armies i really don't think any of that was true no it, it almost certainly wasn't it was one of those things where it's like when when you're when you're sort of in in this situation when you're like a member of 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 the cult as it were you can it's easy to delude yourself into thinking that from from any amount of positive praise but of course you know it's you, you don't think about the fact that the exact lines that you're being fed that that keep you sort of on the hook are the same lines that are being fed to every other person, you know? It, it feels very personal, right? Like, you are Horde Prime's, you know, best guy. You're the, you you are his most uh, sacred and, and special and blessed child. But he says it to everyone. Yep. And like, Hord, Hordak does everything he thinks Horde Prime would want him to do, and yet when he gets back to Horde Prime, Prime just calls him a failure and a defect anyway and just erases everything that made him Hordak or tries to clearly it didn't entirely take but um yeah like that Hordak's whole narrative there is is a very clear reflection of that it is it is it's it is a very very clear reflection of that and it's it it, I I can see where where this is something that would definitely would definitely like hit in a personal place so we've got three things here from the same person, I think, that Curious Cat just kind of messed up um, that are kind of three segments of, like, questioning about uh, the, the sort of inherent homophobia in certain figures of the show, right? So, number one, we're both Shadow Weaver and Horde Prime homophobic. How does this affect Adora and Catra individually since they both grew up with a homophobic-coded mom? Now, this is, in, th- this is so... There was a stream. I don't remember what stream a few months ago where noel and molly talked about this like they did there is no homophobia on etheria as it exists on earth but shadow weaver is coded in certain ways to reflect that specifically i think those two figures are cut so so shadow weaver represents a more like personal axis of it right the 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 family uh axis of it whereas horde prime is the systemic and religious like machine of it 
Yeah, there's this like, so so yeah, there's no there's no structural homophobia on Etheria, but the the metaphors all sort of exist and. Um, how this sort of affected, with Shadowweaver especially, how this sort of affected both of them, it, it affects them in different ways. Because Shadowweaver takes a lot of different metaphorical roles. She takes on the role of a parent. She takes on the role of, like, uh, an authority figure, a uh, commanding officer, somebody who, who is in a position of power over you. Um, she takes on a lot of different narrative roles here because she is a lot of things to them at different times, Right. And uh, the way this sort of happens in, insofar as, like, the sort of, you know, homophobia situation is you have, like, Katra is, of course, treated uh, very, very badly for, uh, for the way that she, for the way that she is, and especially for how she sort of clings on to Adora and, and cares for her in the way that she does. Uh, Shadow Weaver especially really really hates this a lot there's this like um there's this note of adora being the like the golden child who is who shadow weaver sort of feels like is being uh poisoned uh, badly influenced by this you know by this this other person who is you know leading her down the wrong path and and you know this all of these sort of things speak very heavily to very real experiences there right like the homophobia from like parents and authority figures manifests in a lot of different ways you know with adora a lot of times it was like you know you you're the perfect child to be molded the way that we want and you have a predetermined path and we both know that that catra just distracts you you're you're better off without her and everything else and and with catra it's much more it's much more of a of a of a stick situation when it, you know when we're talking about carrot and the stick here and she's much more like like actively uh, aggressed on something else i just thought about with shadow weaver is like there, there are situations like this where you are separated from this authority figure who, who harmed you in such a way. And then, like, grow beyond that. They don't hold authority over you anymore. But they're still kind of in your life. And it's really weird and no one likes it. And that is kind of the situation with the Shadow Weaver in seasons three and four. Where she's just kind of there. But Adora can't really be hurt by her anymore. But no one likes it no one's a fan of it especially not adora yeah that's another thing too right is you have this angle of like the parent doesn't she doesn't just leave like this authority figure in her life doesn't just evaporate into thin air even when you cut someone off out of your life that's usually not a hundred percent other people still interact with them you have a web of people in your life and they're going to intersect right like it's very, very difficult to completely excise someone from your entire uh, sort of periphery here. And when Shadow Weaver ends up defecting and she ends up in with the Alliance here, she's sort of just in the middle of Adora's life again. And Adora tries to work with it and move past it and just try and deal with the situation as it stands. But it's this very deeply uncomfortable fact that she has to continue 
just letting this woman be adjacent to her and make fun of her and 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 things like that and uh and you know in in season five too this this also happens you see like shadow weaver still is here and is still in everything and in a way that's just like you know it's pretty uncomfortable i feel like for both of them uh especially yep and horde prime um the the other two parts of this are just kind of you know reiterating like both shadow weaver and horde prime are use use this relationship that Dodor and Cantor have against them in different ways. And Horde Prime, we've already gone over his his kind of metaphor as conversion therapy, but the, all of the ways he talks about Adora and Catra is like, oh, all of this it hurts you. It's it's nothing but suffering. It is better to leave all that behind and come into the light. Uh, but he is still perfectly willing to weaponize those things against Adora um quite literally oh yeah of course like that's that's the thing right is that and and sort of the rest of this 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 question you know lays it out fairly fairly obviously is that you know shadow weaver and horde prime are both like they 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 are disgusted really by by the relationship that the two of them have and and by the the sort of the 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 draw that the two of them have to each other and they in both of them use that against them and horde prime especially just this like constant emotional manipulation by pulling on these very sensitive strings and trying to to push and pull them in in whatever ways happen to to suit their their needs at the moment it's it's very manipulative and again it's one of those things that does speak very true to life because it's not just it's often not just a, a fact of um, this very, very like, like cliche, stereotypical, like um, super mega disgust or whatever. A lot of times, it is this like extremely manipulative thing. Like you can, like people use this information against you. They they like people in positions of authority over you, whether they be your parents or figures in the church or figures in your community if they know this information they can use it against you they can use it to manipulate you to push you to do things uh they can use it as a threat as a weapon and and horde prime is is no better example of that i think yep uh let's take this one i'll take this one uh and once again from anonymous um talking about horde prime here i was raised mormon and i see a lot of the religion and the way the horde prime goes about things there's this creepy quote that they say a lot in relation to god i am the great i am and it seems like something horde prime would say what do y'all think about it i think we actually literally talked about a lot of the parallels with mormonism in corridors right oh we did yeah we talked about the parallels with uh mormonism and with uh, jehovah's witnesses as well they're they're pretty similar in terms of more his like aesthetics though like the very clinical very like isolating way that the velvet glove is designed yes exactly there's a lot of like mormon sort of visual and architectural choices um that they made but yeah definitely as well in just the way that he behaves is very similar now of course i don't have a lot of experience in mormonism so i can't like really talk that much about like how much of the religion is inside of sort of prime's metaphor here but i would i would super 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 not be surprised if there's like a lot of almost direct 
sort of parallels uh, between the two things here. Like, I am the great I am does exactly sound like something he would say. Yeah, like, what is really the difference between that and I I see all I know all? Like, come on. Yeah, right? Like, it's, it's more or less the same thing in a lot of ways. How about you take the, why don't we end these these curious cat ones on a on a lighter note? How about we take this last one here? Uh oh yes yeah I'll take the last one. So uh, the last one once again from anonymous is uh, one thing I always wanted to see was the interaction between Catra and Drunkadora. Do you have any thoughts on why we never saw this? Do you think it might have changed the dynamic between them at the wrong time in their arc, or risk Adora revealing her feelings too early? Um this this one's really fun. This one's really fun. I, I like this question a lot. I think. Well, obviously, the first time Catcher wasn't around in the Drill episode. The second one is definitely the time where that would have happened. Um, I think that that idea of revealing things too early or messing with the arc was definitely the case. Adora was saying a lot of things in that state. She was very loose-lipped, and I think some things may have slipped out. Oh, yeah. Like... (laughs) So, like... It, it definitely would have done something like i bet they definitely thought about this for that snow episode like well can we really have them interact and the answer was no no i mean like adora is not exactly she's not like she's in tune with her emotions especially not at that point in the show so i'm not sure that she would have just like outright said oh yeah by the way i love you but at the same time i definitely think she would probably be like like, I can imagine, like, her just, like, kind of falling all over Catcher and be like, wow, you look so pretty today. Yeah, that was the absolutely thing. I was like, she would just call Catcher pretty or something. <laughs> Catcher Completely. just wouldn't know what to do. The, that girl would break. She would just, just yeah. short circuit. She wouldn't have a response. No, it would, it would have been complete chaos. There's no way it could have worked. Um, <laughs> You'd just start seeing smoke come out of her ears. Yeah, like... It would, it would it would go like full anime sweat drop mode. <laughs> um, yeah. That said, that said, that would be a really good scene. I would love to see that. Yeah, it would be great. So we got a couple here on the emails, which I think we're supposed to go to Curious Cat, but maybe did not know where to find Curious Cat, which is of course curiouscat.qa slash podcast of power. There's a link to it on our Twitter. Um, so we got a couple here from an anonymous uh, user uh, who is requested to be made anonymous. Uh, one of these is asking about Adora's origins. Uh, what is your opinion or thoughts on what she is or where she is from? So I think we it's fairly concrete. She's the first one from whatever cell remains of the first ones. Like whatever splinter faction managed to hold on. Yeah, there's, like, Horde Prime makes fairly clear in this episode especially that he went out of his way to try and exterminate the first ones. He wanted there to be basically no trace left of them, which in a lot of ways, like, at least from his perspective, probably makes a lot of sense, right? Like, they're never, you know, he's got a race of people who is very intelligent more or less on par with his empire technologically speaking who has access to a lot of stuff that he doesn't really even know about and like they're also going to be like just impossibly revenge-minded like even if there's only one of them left 
they they will basically dedicate the rest of time they built to, a death star yeah they built a death star over it so like they they're they're never ever ever going to stop trying to kill him so yeah he has some motivation to try and get rid of them but obviously it's a little bit easier said than done to do that um especially when the the race of people in question is spacefaring so yeah they they probably had some sort of like smaller like hidden probably some like bunkers right like bunkers on like other planets like hideouts and and things like that they were hiding in for a while real real backwater planets uh they're in the the back masked like messages playing on beast island they do name drop eternia which is, of course, He-Man and She-Ra's homeworld back in the 80s show. So clearly that was like the seat of power. I doubt that Eternia still exists. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> that planet Definitely is glass. Gone. There is nothing yeah. left of that. No, no doubt in my mind Definitely obliterated that. Uh, so I think Adora is definitely from like the, the, the hinterlands of the galaxy, like the extreme far edges where some bunker remains like maybe they don't even know their lineage right like maybe it's been so long and they're so isolated that they've kind of forgotten yeah maybe the computers don't work anymore you know the light hope they have access to doesn't have like all the information stuff like that it's entirely possible but uh, but yeah we do working with ask jeeves (laughs) and that that guy doesn't know anything so they're really they're really in they're really in the uh the the informational boondocks with that one but so that's a wonderful phrase the informational boondocks <laughs> uh but yeah they um we we know we know one thing for sure is that there are probably at least a couple dozen first ones left somewhere um there was a there's a second one same person uh, as well by the same the same anonymous uh the same anonymous user here what do you think about katra being the lost princess Uh, i'd love to hear your thoughts on this so we actually know a little bit about catra's origins um from like interview stuff so like catra unofficially semi-unofficially is like a magic hat who are like there's somewhere out there in the world uh, I think we might see some in a cameo later in this season, but I'm not entirely sure. We do, we do. There's, there's a, there's a small cameo, and I, th- I think it's in the heart episodes actually, heart part two, in fact. So I don't think she's some kind of princess. She doesn't have any like magical ability or ties to any runestone. She's just really, really, really good at fighting. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, she's spent basically her whole life being trained uh to be as strong and tactically capable as possible basically the only thing they fed the girl her whole life was protein bars and she probably worked out like 10 hours a day for like a decade so she's like 97 percent muscle by volume we saw how buff she was in that one shot from season four where she's like about to rip those wires off you see those biceps oh yeah she's she's shredded which by the way this is this is this is off topic. I I forgot to mention this in the actual like coverage proper, but the new the new Shira way buffer and taller than the previous Shira. Oh yes, this Shira. She's massive. She like completely dwarfs Katra. She's huge. I like 
And the muscle, she's very buff. Like she's like nine feet tall. Man. She literally is like like an Amazonian warrior here. The girl like she walks into like the 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 command room of Darla here, and she is like a full person size taller than the command chair which she like could barely fit in before yeah. like she was like very small sitting in yeah and like she's just 100 percent beef she's nine feet tall she's like it it's quite a glow up one might say oh yeah but but yeah no catra is also no uh no no beanpole herself she is she's got some some muscles this girl she's much more kind of more of a wiry like tones kind of strong Whereas Adora or she rather is just wide, just this, just built like a fridge. She she's kind of a tank, yeah. Looking like that, like Kylo Ren in that one scene from <laughs> Last Jedi, where he's just like a cylinder. <laughs> that basically, honest, honestly, that scene is actually very funny in the movie. It's just incredible. Um, God, I haven't even seen that movie. I bet it. I bet it is pretty funny. You should. Well, we should watch it sometime. That movie's pretty. That movie's quite good. Uh, don't listen to the haters. It's the. It's like the best Star Wars movie they've made in like twenty years. <laughs> we have one additional uh, set of questions here. Um, long time, long time viewer of the show, Sean Montgomery um provided us quite a lot in this uh in this email here uh we get a uh copy of that extended animatic from save the cat we were trying to find which uh keep an eye out for that bonus episode about the bonus save the cat content um as well as some some pretty good fan art um but there's also a few questions in uh in this uh in this email here sure how about you take him? First one here is uh, when Adora first holds Katra after jumping from the throne room, uh, Katra is gasping, uh, ah, ah, ah. Is she trying to say Adora? Maybe. Like, it's hard to translate those kind of death rattles. Uh, but yes, my answer is yes. My gut says yes. Yeah, I think definitely right. Like, it's it's sort of like half agonal breathing and half like probably her trying to to like call out to Adora um, and trying to to speak to her, but it's uh, it's a little it's a little tough when like all two hundred and something bones in your body have been turned into dust. Yeah, your ribs have been turned into like a like a sort of Mandelbrot pattern, um, just just like a fractal of bone, you know, just the the good stuff, which leads us neatly into the second part of the, of this which is uh there's been a lot of discussion concerning if Catra died or not and saved the cat. I don't think she died, but was close to it. I based this on Noel Stevenson ha- having been told by the execs to show that she was alive, hence the gasp and the episode uh quoth Noel however in a tweet uh Catra's breaths and save the cat were requested by our execs so we wouldn't think she had died. And then AJ went them and made them the most devastating death rattle you ever heard. So that backfired. Yeah, right. So like the the executives, you know, I guess a little understandably were like, hmm, maybe let's not like allude to somebody dying on camera in the show that's nominally for children. And so I said, you got it. And then AJ, uh, well, she did her magic. I'll say that. 
Sean's headcanon is that she didn't quite die, but was about to. And the only thing that could, that could bring her back from the brink of death was she. I think that's right. Like, Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I said, it was a mortal wound. I don't think she, like, died in, during the episode, but she was not going to live for much longer. Yeah, she was... Her, her body did not like falling 600 feet off of a sheer cliff. It didn't exactly sit very well with uh, with the physical the physical body there. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think she was she was kind of done for if uh, if that uh, magic wasn't around. So, uh, yeah, luckily Shira was around. Uh, gave her the uh, sort of sort of the the head the the forehead touch of life. And of course, as always, these emails come with some very great fan art, some very dramatic and emotional, and others just very funny. Yeah, some of it's really good. Um, you, should, you should put a few of those in the description. But yes, that will close it out on this mammoth Save the Cat podcast. I don't think we're going to do a spoiler zone this time because, as always, we are put in the difficult position of having nothing to talk about that won't come up in like three episodes. So yeah, this the the issue is we're we're running right up against the the bulkhead here of of the vault because the episodes where more information, more of the sort of critical endpoints of these arcs, like those. Like the episodes we would have to pull information from would be Failsafe and The Heart Part 1 and 2, which we don't want to touch yet because those episodes in and of themselves, we, we want to try and really just just dig into those as, as much as we can. So we want to we wanna make sure that, that those get the proper attention that they deserve. But of course, this episode is long enough without the spoiler zone, so for now, we will just end on our usual plugs of course find us on twitter at podcast of power uh where you can also find a link to our curious cat uh pinned there on on the main one where you can send in questions hey and if you got longer questions or some other stuff to share you can do it through email pot at gmail.com um and you can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash pot of power, which recently went through a bit of a revamp. Yes, it did. We changed a few of our rewards uh, here, or I guess sort of just restructured how the rewards work. So um, now our $1 patrons, our, our horde cadets, now on in addition to uh, getting our heartfelt gratitude, uh, also get access to older bonus content. So if you pledge one dollar, you all you get access to the entirety of the Owlcast, which has for now wrapped up, and you also get access to all of season one of the Keepocast, and uh, that's all up there, all ready to go. If you want to take a listen to that, so that's cool. Um, and as as we get through uh, the bonus content we're doing now, we'll um, put that on the backlog for all of the. Um, all the $1 patrons as well. So uh, as we get through like the next season of, of Kipo, that'll end up on there as well. Um, and then for uh, for everybody, we have actually opened up a Discord server, the Discord of Power, which, um, which is pretty cool. I think we need a snappier name for that. We should workshop that. We should workshop that. But, um, but yeah, for, for right now, it's called the Discord of Power. And it's, uh, it's, it's a community Discord we put together. Uh, any patrons have access to it. Um, you just need to, you need to link your Discord profile to your Patreon account. There's like a little API for that. 
and it'll automatically uh, add you in, give you your roles, and you'll have access to that. And at the $3 level, you can find, of course, you can be current with all of our, our sideshows, uh, currently going through Kipo Season 2. And uh, beginning this week, recording the first episode this week, the Infinicast, starting with Book 1 of Infinity Train. So... If you want to stay caught up with all of our, our side content, you can do that. And of course, alongside that, you have other stuff, such as our She-Riffs, where we watch uh, old uh, She-Ra cartoons from the 80s and, and make jokes over them in a syncable audio commentary format. All of the episodes are on YouTube. You can just uh, sync up and, uh, and, and, and watch along with us. We've also got The Watchtower, a video podcast showcasing all sorts of cool fan content, AMVs, fan art, fanfic. Yes, indeed. Uh, as well, coming up after the season actually concludes uh, at some point, still setting this up, but uh, we are going to be doing a uh, one-shot tabletop campaign of For the Honor, which is a She-Ra-themed sort of tabletop game, GM-less, and it's, uh, it's going to be pretty fun. That's right. And, of course, lovely $3 patrons also get the benefit of being read aloud at the end of every episode. Special shout-out to the people who joined between recordings, as always. So that would be Katie Sinclair, Chris, Sam F., and Remy Dillon. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. As well as the rest of our Force Captains. Brinsley Hammond Brower, Salty Salty, Prongle, Blue Holly, I Beauregard, Kaylee Louisa, Garrett Johnson, Ross Ivy, Emma Lynn, Ashley Butcher, Anelia, Cody, Haley Moreland, Yusuf Gurch, Ashley, Kyra Williams, Mabel Mabel, Ryan Kuhn, Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Sean Montgomery, Jack O'Nuro, Olivia, Brittany Ray, Michael Steinert, Tara Stark, TCO, Brennan Fitzgerald, Tobu Emma Grossman, and Robert Harris. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. As always, your support means the world to us. It's super awesome that uh, that you're all here, and uh, we hope that uh, you enjoy sort of the, uh, the the stuff we're putting out here towards the the end of the end of the run here. Hey, join the Discord. Get it popping. We got yeah. all sorts of stuff over there. Feel free to mingle. We'll be working on it, of course, as it goes on, uh, sort of expanding things, improving things, more emotes, more emotes. Of course, we 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 have we have Glimmer Pog on there already, so that's that's already really the only emote you need. But we'll we'll add more. Uh, so, next week we will be talking about taking control. So, season five, episode six, taking control next week, which is very juicy uh, and comes along. With, of course, the bonus episode that we'll be probably launching alongside it on the uh, the Anna Charlier fic Don't Go, which is a very interesting piece of apocryphal canon. Oh, yes, it is. That and as well as the uh, as the special additional uh, animatic scene uh, will be in that bonus episode. So keep an eye out on that one. Till then... I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we will see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.